Welcome back to Pursuing Justice. I'm Harriet Hendel. We're continuing our discussion with Gia Wirtz and Jeffrey Deskovic, a filmmaker who made a short documentary about Jeffrey's case of wrongful conviction. Today, we're going to focus on Jeffrey's life after he was exonerated. Let's briefly mention the topic of compensation. Uh, 36 states have some form of compensation on the books for a person who was locked up for whatever many years. Um, and Jeffrey, um, the compensation was part of your case. So I wanted you to explain a little bit about this topic, if you would. Sure. So the topic, the, the compensation refers to trying to make somebody, you know, whole, you know, to the extent that you can. Now, obviously, nothing can give me back these 16 years that I lost, you know, particularly, you know, the ages of 17 to 32, which are really key in terms of life development. That having been said, you know, it was a very difficult uh, five years of freedom being released without anything. And so the financial compensation has allowed me to have the mental strain off of my head. I know that I can pay my bills every every month. You know, I have income every month. I have the money conservatively invested. And so that allows me to spend my time doing um, advocacy, you know, work, uh, anti-wrongful conviction uh, work, rather than having to uh, try to, you know, chase a paycheck, you know, every, every month. So it, it's helped me in that way. And it has helped me to feel confident and feel like I'm, a, you know, more like I'm a man, not not that I'm like right. somebody who's dependent on, on other people. And so it is helped uh, as far as that. But yeah, I do you, want to quickly mention 14 yeah, go, states, go 14 states do not have any compensation, including uh, Pennsylvania, which is a border state to New York and, and New Jersey. And hopefully we'll get into that a little bit later on in the segment. Yeah. Well, you know, while we're on the topic of compensation, uh, I, I would like to stay with it. Um, what you just said is, is absolutely correct. And we have a state like Texas that gives $80,000 per year for each year that you were wrongfully incarcerated. So you have that. And then you have states all the way at the other end where they put a cap on how much you can receive. Now, you mentioned that for five years, there was nothing. How long did it take for you to receive compensation for your time? Well, that's what I mean. It, it took five years. So what I mean is that New York State had the compensation statute on the books. Mm -hmm. It's just that you have to obtain a lawyer, you have to file mm -hmm. a lawsuit, and the legal process plays out. And so in my particular instance, it took five years mm -hmm. before I received uh, anything. So the importance of state compensation uh, versus just a federal civil rights lawsuit, which I, I pursued both. Mm -hmm. But the reason why that's important is because in a federal lawsuit, it, proving that you were wrongfully imprisoned is only half of the fight. You have to prove a concurrent malicious violation of a constitutional right. And if you can't do that, then even though you were wrongfully imprisoned, then the federal civil rights lawsuit would be dismissed. Hmm. Wow. And, and there's also a little catch in Florida that I happen to know about. Um, they call it the clean hands bill. 
So if you had a prior felony uh, before you were wrongfully um, uh, convicted and, and uh, imprisoned, uh, and if Florida has locked you up for 30 years, that's too bad. You don't get compensation because of that felony. And there are the Innocence Project of Florida, where I have been very active for many years, is trying to remove that from the book. So you have something like that. And then, as you said, there are states that have absolutely no compensation whatsoever. So there's a big, um, a big gap uh, between the states. And what I hope for, and I'm sure you do too, is uniformity, that all states ought to offer something. And they don't, not right now. So while, while we're talking about compensation, um, what exactly did you do with um, part of the compensation that you received? You did something really wonderful. Tell us about it. Yes, I took a million and a half dollars from the money that I received, and I used it to start the, the Jeffrey Deskovic Foundation for Justice, who, which has the, perp, the, the mission of freeing other people in the same position that I was once in that who were wrongfully imprisoned and while also pursuing policy changes aimed at preventing wrongful conviction from happening in the first place. So we've since 2011, we've been able to free 10 uh, wrongfully convicted people and we've been able to help pass three laws. And then as a part of a bigger coalition, which the foundation's part of called It Could Happen to You, we've been able to pass an additional four laws, three of which were in New York and one of which is in uh, Pennsylvania. But I also want to mention that I also did something else with a little bit of the compensation, which is I paid for my education to go to law school. I got tired of sitting in the front row of the courtroom. I wanted to be able to sit at the defense table and to represent some of the clients and make some of the arguments. And so I did put myself through law school, and as we sit here and talk, I, I am I am an attorney right now. Right, that well. was. I wanted you to tell us that 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 is a remarkable and magnificent achievement. You should be very very proud, and I think it's uh, it's great that you got to brag about that today. That and you just graduated in 2019 from Pace, right? That's exactly right. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's wonderful. Well, congratulations. What a different uh, perspective you will have now uh, as a lawyer in a courtroom than, you know, from, you know, before. Now, in, in terms of um, uh, laws and things that you want to do uh, in, at, at your foundation, what, what changes have you, specific changes have you been able to make in the laws? Uh, videotaping interrogations, uh, mm. identif identification reform, recalling that misidentification is a cause of wrongful convictions in 75% of the DNA proven wrongful convictions and DNA database expansion. Uh, then within the within the coalition group, it could happen to you, we helped pass a, it's called the Commission on Prosecutor Conduct. So it's an independent oversight board for prosecutors. We passed a tweak of that. We passed discovery reform. And what that means is that uh, sharing of information between the defense and prosecution, automatic, extremely early in the process. Uh, and then in Pennsylvania, so take copying our 
blueprint of success in New York, which is to build a statewide coalition and focus in on one or two issues, we were able to pass an additional law in Pennsylvania, uh, which is automatic expungement. And so what that means is previously, people who were exonerated in Pennsylvania, uh, when they went for job, when they go for job interviews, they still would have a record of those crimes that they were exonerated of. So we helped to pass that. So in terms of our current uh, policy changes we're working on, uh, when the videotaping interrogation law came out, it, it was uh, passed with a bunch of exceptions, and we want to get rid of those exceptions. So those exceptions are sex offense cases, drug cases, certain types of homicide. So we're working on passing that in New York, uh, working on some parole reform measures also. Uh, in Pennsylvania, we're working on exoneree compensation. We're active on that now, mm. building support for that. And again, independent oversight of prosecutors. And in California, again, oversight of prosecutors, but we think that there's also an opportunity to try to get rid of the death penalty, which I, I view as very important because of the obvious risk of executing innocent people. Right. Exactly. Boy, you've got some wonderful goals. You've accomplished so much. How long has your foundation been up and running? Well, we opened our doors. It depends on what date you want to use. I mean, mm. we opened our doors in 2011, but like most oh. organizations, we started before that in 2009. We were just working out of somebody's living room, and we graduated in 2011 when I got the compensation, and we opened an office, and we've continued on with it since then like that. Terrific. That's wonderful. Uh, Gia, I wanted you at this point in our podcast, if you would, to speak about your long-term goal, which is a full-length film, and how it would be different than the short documentary that you have already made. Yes, absolutely. So the short doc, as you know, really focuses on after Jeff is released from prison and reintegration into society. Uh, it focuses on that one aspect of his life. The feature length will cover the, his whole story. So, you know, everything from what it was like in high school to the, uh, you know, misconduct the detectives uh, involved themselves in when they coerced the confession from Jeff. And everything that's in the short will also mostly be in the film, but it will go much more in depth into you know, how did his family handle it? And what was it like in prison? What happened while he was there? Um, what what he's gone on to do since the short ended, because we ended filming in 2019. And as mm. we know, Jeff has now graduated law school and, and done even more, more work to free other wrongfully convicted people. So it'll go into uh, his life today. So it'll be a, it'll be a um, bigger picture of his life. And we also have great interviews with uh, Nina Morrison. She was a lawyer who actually worked with the Innocence Project, still works with the Innocence Project, but she was the one who brought the Jeff to new, Je brought the news to Jeff that he was going to be oh. getting out of prison. And so that was very interesting from my point of view, because I got to hear Jeff's perspective of that day. And then I got to hear Nina's perspective of that day. Mm. Um, very, very interesting. Uh, I talked to his mom and, you know, of course, everything she went through as a single mom and she had a, she has another son. So not only did she deal with what happened to Jeff, but she still had to take care of her other son. And so there's just lots of, lots of interesting facts um, that are included in the feature length film. Right. 
and the feature length film will be, what did you say, about an hour and a half is what you're hoping for, right? Yes. Yeah. And, and while we're talking about the longer film, um, how do you, from a short, uh, which I'm sure is less expensive to get funding for, um, how do you um, go about um, getting funding for a feature length film? Is that more difficult? Very much so. <laughs> the uh, short I self-funded. So uh, funding oh. the feature length film is much more difficult. There's lots of ways to go about it, whether you do crowdfunding, uh, you know, through a Kickstarter type type of, uh, there's film platforms specifically for fundraising for films. Uh, there's also a lot of executive producers who will fund portions of the film um, if they want to get involved with a cause or with a topic mm -hmm. and whatnot. So we're going to um, attempt a few avenues to, to fund the rest of the film. I see. I see. All right. I, you, you said something that I would like to pick up on about the day that uh, Jeffrey learned about the fact that he was going home. So uh, Jeffrey, I would like to hop over to you and uh, see if you can remember what your thoughts and feelings were about that news from Nina Morrison. Yeah, so uh, so trying to be really concise, uh, I wasn't not I was not expecting a visit. So even when my cell was cracked open, I made made sure I asked the officer to double check to make sure that I was the one in fact who had a visit. And uh, when he confirmed that it was, I remember you know, rushing over to the visiting room, which was a considerable distance from my cell. And I remember thinking to myself, like, who, who the heck is this who's come mm -hmm. to see me? And when I came in the visiting room, this woman is smiling at me and mm -hmm. she's waving at me and I've never seen her before. I mean, I just reflexively waved back, but I thought mm -hmm. maybe she's mistaking me for somebody else or maybe she uh, remembers me from some other prison visiting room because I, I had only been in Sing Sing for 28 days, which is where this visit was taking place oh, at. Uh -huh. And so the, I asked the guard, uh, who, who's my visitor? And mm -hmm. the guard looked at me like I was crazy and said, well, mm -hmm. don't you know who's come to see you? And so I didn't want to take a chance that my visit might get canceled. So I said, yeah, of course I do. <laughs> and so I walked over uh, to the lady waving and she introduced herself as Nina Morrison. And she told me that the I, items had been tested. And I said to her, what, what do you mean they've been tested? They're not supposed to be tested for another month. And by this point, I was attuned to anything, any irregularity, because I had been uh, foiled by technicalities and minor glitches like we've talked about in a prior episode of the podcast here. So she said, no, the items have been tested. The DA got the lab to perform the testing uh, faster. Uh, you're going home tomorrow. Oh, my and, God. And I said, no, I'm not. And we went back and forth a couple of times and she sat, I, I had this three and a half hours of mental paralysis where she uh, sat there and held my hand and my mind was splitting and one thought had nothing to do with the other. And I'm articulating everything that's passing through my mind and she's just you know, listening and <laughs> looking and every now and then she would break in and say, are you ready to talk yet about tomorrow? And I'm like, <laughs> no, 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 listen, no, I'm not, I'm not entertaining that not going home tomorrow. Uh, no, no, we're not talking about that. And eventually what made it real was when she said that uh, the visit was almost over. Mm -hmm. I got to get your shoe size. I have to get your sizes for uh, your suit and the 
items attached to that. And there's a ton of work to be done in terms of getting the media ready. And that's what made it real for me. And I felt better for about five minutes. And then I, then I, then a different fear entered my mind, which was, I thought that something was going to happen between that day and the next and the, and the district attorney was going to change her mind and that, you know, I would not in fact be going home. Of course, of course, that it's certainly uh, not, I wouldn't think it's out of the ordinary to expect that it, it wasn't real. And the day of the following day, the day of your release, uh, do you remember some of the feelings and what happened that day? Yes, I do. I, I, I do. Uh, I think, uh, yeah, I think the most important thing is that I was waiting in the holding area and I was told by Nina Morrison that Barry Sheck was going to come and see me in the holding area just to affirm, to let me know that everything we were, everything was still, uh, we were still on course for me to go home. And when hours started passing by and there was no sign of neither, there were signs of neither Sheck nor suit. I started thinking to myself, well, some, something's obviously going to go wrong here, yeah. you know? So, uh, yeah, I remembered that. And then I remember that, uh, when I walked into the courtroom, uh, Sheck said he spoke to the judge in the chambers and that, uh, I was definitely going home today. And then the judge rushed out. It's supposed to go in front of the judge that presided over your trial, but I, I think he ducked the assignment. He was still on the bench. And so this other judge rushed in and my lawyer spoke and the other sides, the prosecution spoke and they both said the same thing. And he quickly overturned the verdict and rushed out of the courtroom. I mean, I remember having the distinct impression that he really didn't want to have had anything to do with this at all, but he was just kind of being forced into it. And I got up to leave and suddenly the enormity of the moment hit me and I sat back down and uh, and I heard people, I heard voices like in and out and the bailiffs eventually cleared the courtroom. And then uh, after about 20 minutes, I got up and, and, and every step that I took towards the front door with nobody stopping me, it started to see, uh, it started to see more and more real. And I remember as I left the courtroom, there was a court officer who was trying to be kind of stoic and professional, but uh, I could see the water dripping. And uh, I looked up to her and said, thank you. And she wished me good luck. And I uh, went outside and I remember it was a blue sky out and people were clapping hmm. and it was time to, there was a press conference and I was, I was totally unprepared for it. And when it was my turn to speak, uh, my first words were, is this really happening? Hmm. And from there, everything I had ever wanted to say, but could never get nobody to hear me about in 16 years, all came out. And so I held them there for maybe like two and a half hours. Mm, wow. Were there a lot of media uh, people there? Yes, there was a there was a lot of media there. Yes, I, I would think I would think so. Well, we are almost at the end of our final podcast, and I, I wanted to ask you both. Um, what do you hope comes out of a film, the, the longer film, the full-length film like this? And, and also, uh, what changes would you like to see in the justice system going forward that possibly 
uh, might come out of uh, having people having seen a film like this. So Gia, if you'd like to go first and then Jeffrey. Sure. Uh, for me, my goal from the beginning uh, was really to provide a platform so I could raise awareness and uh, a platform for people who've been wrongfully convicted so they have somewhere to share their voice and tell their side of the story, which hopefully in turn would bring some opportunities to bring freedom for them. Uh, that's my goal. And what's been great about working with Jeff on his film is because of his foundation, there's so many people. He's always referring to me saying, you know, there's this person and such and such person that you can talk to. And so uh, as a filmmaker, I can't deem if someone's innocent or not, but working with somebody like Jeff, who they do the work to determine if someone is likely innocent or not really makes my job a lot easier to select people for future films and such. Uh, so that's what I hope comes out of the film in the long run. And as far as changes in the justice system, it seems to me the, the one thing that stands out over and over is that there should be no immunity for misconduct by prosecutors and police officers. And I think if that one thing was changed where they were held accountable mm -hmm. and they knew that they could also be put behind bars if they do this to somebody, because it is a crime. It's a crime what they did to Jeff and all the other people who've been wrongfully convicted. I think that would go a long way in changing um, the course of events in a lot of these cases. I couldn't agree more. I've been saying that for so many years when I began to be aware of wrongful conviction back in, I guess, maybe 09, uh, and wondered the same thing. How is it possible that a prosecutor can hide evidence and get away with it uh, or, or do what was done to Jeffrey? So, uh, yeah, that's a great point. And Jeffrey, what do you hope comes out of the, this, the longer film? Um, and what changes do you want to see in the justice system going forward? Well, my ultimate dream is to have a chapter of the Jeffrey Deskey Foundation for Justice in each state and ultimately in each country. Uh, mm. That's that's because I see wrongful conviction as a worldwide problem in countries where we don't hear about wrongful conviction. It's not that it's not happening. It's that nobody is nobody's getting exonerated in those countries. There's very few people working on it. So what I hope uh, comes from the longer version is I hope that we get I hope that we can get donors and additional board members. We have a crowdfunding site on Patreon. I mean, what if many many people were willing to donate three to five dollars on a recurring basis? So I guess public support, uh, celebrity spokespeople, other help, which would in one way or another assist us in making that expansion. Uh, I do hope that additional changes in the law will be spurred on. So. Uh, in the documentary, uh, in the documentary short, uh, I, I was able to speak about some of the other non-innocence uh, disturbing things that I saw. So things like parole reform, so many people who are deserving candidates of getting paroled are denied parole based on nature of the crime. And I saw that happen to many people. And that that's something that can never change. I, I, the, the more appropriate yardstick is supposed to be whether someone's been rehabilitated, but other things like elderly people in parole and compassionate release, where often by the time somebody who's terminally ill has the determination made by Department, you know, by the Department of Corrections, where they're going to release them so that they can die with a little bit of dignity at, at, at home with their, their family. 
often by the time those decisions were made, the person like dies within a day or two, or they've already already passed away. Things like prison reform and college education for prisoners, which is uh, a very serious crime fighting tool. Those things we need help with. We need help on prisoner reentry. So I hope that all these non-innocence issues can get the uh, attention that they deserve through this platform I have. And obviously these systemic deficiencies are things that led to my wrongful conviction. Many of those things are still not addressed legislatively throughout the country. And so I hope that we can plug those gaps in the justice system. I hope that it increases my profile. I'd love to get additional speaking engagement opportunities uh, across, across the country and internationally. I'd like to somehow break into the motivational speaking circuit. And you know, all the honorariums that I get, I, I donate those to the foundation. So I hope I hope I can get additional opportunities uh, from that. And just to one day stop being the best known unknown. If you Google me, if you Google me, 40 pages of links are going to come up, but I'm still hardly a household name. And I would like to be regarded as, as you know, as, as uh, a person involved in civil rights. I mean, I do believe the innocence movement is the new civil rights era in, in certain ways. So, you know, I would like to have a larger platform, but not not just as a goal in and of itself. It's I mean, my head is the right size, my feet are firmly on the ground. It's more that I'm a tool in the struggle and the more effective that I can be, as goes I, as goes the foundation, and to some extent, as goes the issue of wrongful conviction. So I hope that there could be improvements in all of those uh, things through this oh, document, documentary. Certainly, I mean, you have lots and lots of goals uh, to achieve and, and you already have achieved some and there are many, many to go. I think uh, this whole issue of reentry is is a tough one, and I think what happens is the innocence projects of the country, and there there are at least one per state. Some of the little states, there's a consortium, but they they really their job stops when you are released, and it should continue. I know that the Florida Innocence Project. We have a full time social worker, but a lot of projects do not, they can't afford it. So, you know, a lot of the things that you mentioned cost money, some of them don't. And uh, hopefully, uh, you know, you will raise awareness uh, by what you're already doing. And I, I wish you all the very, very best, Jeffrey. You've done just remarkable things since you got out. And Gia, you have, um, you are able to shine a light on this particular case. Uh, and and uh, I wish you the best with the full-length film that it wins awards and that you're a part of a number of film festivals. That would be really wonderful. So thank you both for being here today with me and, um, you know, talking about uh, the case, your case, Jeffrey, and the film. And we look forward to uh, seeing the film one of these days very, very soon. So um, I just wanted to mention that next time we will meet um, Marsha Levick of the Juvenile Law Center uh, in Philadelphia, a, a woman who has been a champion and advocate for children uh, in the justice system. So please uh, do join us next time on Pursuing Justice. And thank you for listening. And thank you, Gia, Gia and Jeffrey, for being with us today. Thank you.